0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to the second chapter in the Bible, Genesis two. God is the creator of our universe. The Lord created everything in the universe in six 24 hour days. Some people say, how in the world can you believe that? Because the Bible says there was evening and there was morning day one, day two, day three, and so forth. So I don't believe that the Hebrew word yom is referring to a long period of time. I believe it's talking about a 24-hour day. I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to, how fast he wants to. There's no limit to him. And on the sixth day of creation, God created Adam and Eve, one man, one woman on that day. He created marriage. It's very interesting. Uh, I have walked three of our three daughters uh, down the aisle. Do you know where that started? The Garden of Eden. God the Father was the father of the first bride. And he walked her down the aisle, if you will, in the Garden of Eden. And gave her to the first groom. And that was Adam. And that was the first wedding that was consummated. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's plan for marriage, God's plan for family, one man, one woman. It's very interesting. Within only six or seven generations, things started to change. And we think that today we live in a very sinful time. Well, it was a sinful time back then as well. Because the seventh generation from Adam, through his evil son Cain, produced what is referred to as polygamy. A man named Lamech, seven generations from Adam through the lineage of Cain. The Bible says in Genesis 4.19, Lamech took to himself two wives. Immediately, that distorted God's original plan. It's very interesting. My wife and I were talking about this. Did you know that my wife knows the Bible really well? (laughs) And we were talking about this, she said, you know, the seventh generation from Cain was a sinful generation, but the seventh generation through Seth was Enoch. Does anybody remember Enoch? The Bible says Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He didn't die physically. He went to heaven. And that was the righteous lineage. And soon after Lamech distorted God's original plan for marriage by the sin of polygamy, there was a lot more deviation that took place. The Bible says in Genesis 6, 5, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Again, we think that things are bad now, and they are, but listen to this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's been bad a long time, folks. So much so that right after that verse, guess what God did? He called a man named Noah to build an ark, to save his family, to save mankind. Sometimes people talk about races. We all came from Noah and his three sons. If you're breathing, you came from a big boat (laughs) and you came from a man named Noah and from the lineage of his sons. The Bible says that it was just a little bit longer even after Noah and his sons were the only ones They replenished the earth, but it wasn't long at all that sexual sin was being committed again. We read in Genesis 19 about Sodom and Gomorrah completely populated with males who would engage in the sin of homosexuality. The men of that city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, Genesis 19, 4, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. Did you hear that? Both young and old. Homosexuality was young and old. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men? These were two angels, actually, who came to you tonight. Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. I won't go into what that means, but I think you know. It was the first biblical example of homosexuality. Paul describes homosexuality with these words in Romans 1. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. And men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do these things which are not proper. I'm talking to somebody in this room that has same-sex attractions. You struggle with that? And I want to encourage you to pray to read the Word of God, to go to counseling, to talk with people. But I do want you to see what the Bible says about it. It says that all of the LGBTQ activity is, and I'm just reading from Romans, degrading, unnatural, indecent, error, depraved, and not proper when God called me to preach, I told him, I'll preach the Bible. I won't preach the culture. I'll preach the Bible. And the culture has changed, but the Bible has not changed. We need to love everybody, even people that struggle with same-sex attraction. We need to love them. And you know, if you love somebody, you know what you do? You don't lie to them. You lovingly tell them the truth. And so anything you hear today from me, I want it to be the truth, but I want it to be in love. Okay? No need, no, there's no need today for clapping and all of that. And I know that you understand what I'm saying there. In our day, the world has turned its back on the truth of God. And I believe Satan and demonic strongmen have attacked biblical marriage and the biblical family at every front. Our highest political offices affirm sinful deviations from biblical marriage and family. They're even so deceived that they affirm the killing of unborn babies. I came across a picture recently. That was Life Magazine April the 30th, 1965. 1965. And this is the picture of an 18-week-from-conception baby. Is that a baby? And yet, in America, every day, Two thousand of babies like this are murdered by means of abortion. I pray that the Supreme Court will overrule Roe versus Wade. I do. I do. So how have things changed so radically? How did we get into such a mess? How did we deviate from heterosexual monogamous marriage to what we have today? Is there any hope? Yes, there is, because God is alive. God is alive. Don't ever picture God as wringing his hands, thinking about what am I gonna do? He is a sovereign God. He is in charge. He has a plan. And even the devil cannot mess up the plan of God. God is bringing everything to the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. But before that happens on this Mother's Day, let's just go back and take a look at the beginning, okay? Marriage 101. Look at Genesis 1, verses 26 and following. You can just follow on the screen if you'd like to. If you have a Bible, feel free to join. Then God said, let us make man in our image. There's the Trinity. Us, our, those are pronouns that are plural. According to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now go down to Genesis chapter two, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for him out of the ground. The Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them or name them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he, God, took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place, and then the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And these are the first wedding vows ever given. Then man, Adam, said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Here's our verse, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined or cleaved to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Could we read Genesis 2, 24 together? Would you read that with me, please? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let's talk about biblical marriage. First of all, we see the pattern for marriage. For this reason, the Bible says there, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. It shows the eternal pattern God has for marriage, God's standard, if you will, for marriage, heterosexual, monogamous marriage. Heterosexual, a man and a woman, male and female. Monogamous, one man, one woman. That's the first biblical marriage and we see it here in Genesis 2:24. And it actually gives in that one verse two references to heterosexual monogamous marriage. If you look at the verse, it says that a man will leave his father and his mother. I don't want to be trite, but he didn't say father and father. He didn't say mother and mother. When a man left his home, he left two parents that had a, heterosexual monogamous marriage. He did not leave a homosexual, parents who were homosexuals or lesbians. Then after he left his father and mother, he began a new heterosexual monogamous marriage. It says, for this reason, a man shall be joined to his wife. He wasn't joined to a man. and A woman wasn't joined to a woman. When a man married, he left heterosexual monogamous parents and joined his wife to form a separate heterosexual monogamous marriage. One man joining one woman is God's design for marriage. And guess who quoted that? Jesus. Jesus quoted when he was asked about divorce. He said, I'll tell you about biblical marriage, but we have to go back before the first sin was committed in Genesis 3. Let's go to Genesis 2:24." He answered and said to them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He's talking about Genesis 1.27. And in verse five in Matthew 19, he says, for this reason, he's quoting Genesis two twenty-four, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave or join to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You hear that at many weddings. Now I have heard, mistakenly, that Jesus never addresses the issue of homosexuality, and I'm not here to beat up on anybody. Again, if you struggle with LGBTQ, I'm not here to beat you up, but I am here to tell you the truth. Some say that Jesus never addressed that. Oh, yes, he did. When he affirmed the biblical pattern of marriage, he said the only true pattern of marriage and the only place for true sexual participation is in a marriage where there's one man and one woman. That's what Jesus said. Jesus quoted the seminal text the basic text. And so did the Apostle Paul. When he was talking about marriage, guess where he went? Same place Jesus went. Back to Moses, back before the fall, back before sin entered the world. Ephesians 5:31. for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. You say, well, Brother Steve, now times have changed and things are different. Times haven't changed. Things aren't different. They're no different than Genesis 6-4 when the whole world was out of control morally and everything. There's There's no difference than Sodom and Gomorrah. No difference. I mean, we still are struggling with the same things that we've struggled with since the garden, since that first partaking of forbidden fruit. But God's standard does not change. That's what what I want you to take away. God's standard doesn't waver with what the culture says. God's standard is God's standard. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the pattern for marriage is what started in the Garden of Eden Heterosexual, monogamous marriage, one man and one woman. That's the pattern for marriage. Now, look at the parting of marriage. Now, I'm not talking about divorce. I'm talking about something else. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Everybody say the word leave. leave. What does that mean in the Hebrew? It means to leave. <laughs> well, what does that mean? means to leave, to leave. (laughs) Adam and Eve's descendants were to create new families. They were to marry individuals of the opposite sex and leave their parents. This is where a lot of couples get in trouble, young couples. They don't leave their parents and there's a lot of ways to leave them So what do you mean by leaving their parents? I don't know if I like that or not. Number one, I didn't say it first, God did. I'll give you three ways I think that young couples ought to leave their parents. They ought to leave them physically. They ought to go start another house, go to another place. The Bible says it's not good for the man to be alone. Every woman in here would know that <laughs> because we messed the house up when we we're alone. That's right. But It's also not good for young married couples to live indefinitely and permanently in the same house with their parents or their in-laws. Now, if you're, you know, if you're building a house and you're you know, waiting or if you're, you, know, you are just getting started you know, and you wanna live a month or so like that, that's fine. But, but to live with no end in sight, that's not healthy. It's not. You need to leave. And it's certainly fine to have your parents that are aging to come live with you. I'm not not talking about those kind of things. I'm talking about getting married and just going to live with one of your parents indefinitely. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You need to leave. If your parents are healthy... You need to leave. There's only one man that can be the man of one house. There's only one woman that can be the woman of one house. Married couples need to leave physically. They also need to leave financially. It's quiet in here, isn't it? (laughs) If a man and a woman are not able to support themselves financially, they're not ready to get married. Couples don't depend financially on your parents. You don't have to have two cars when you first get married. That doesn't mean one of you has to walk, it does mean that you have to share. You don't have to buy a house to be married. You can rent. You don't have to have huge salaries to be married. You can do yourself a favor. And I don't work for Dave Ramsey, but I, I am a real disciple of his work. Go get Dave Ramsey's materials and do what he says. And I told him in person, I said, you just stole my daddy's stuff. Because <laughs> my daddy tied to the church, developed a budget. He stuck to it. He saved for the future. He avoided debt. He lived within his means and he was generous with other people. That's exactly what the Bible teaches, is it not? You know what Dave told me? He said, I interviewed 100 people like your daddy, and that's where I got my stuff. Don't depend on your parents financially. And parents don't constantly give money to your children. When you do that, look at me. You think you're helping. But I have seen this more than once. When you give something to your child and just keep pouring it on there, their spouse is going to resent it. You think you're helping, but you're harming that marriage. Oh, but they're struggling. Struggle's good. Let them struggle. Oh, but they, they only have baloney to eat. Praise God for baloney. Amen. It's okay. They will live. Now, if there's once in a while you need to help them out, I understand that. But it's a quick way to anger your child's spouse. They need to leave financially, and then they need to leave emotionally. Now, this one's tough. Married couples need to transfer their primary loyalties away from their parents to their spouse so that what their spouse says and thinks is more important to what their parents say or think. And parents of married children, you should want that. You should want them to have a healthy marriage. When they got married, they created a new family unit. You can leave, by the way, you can leave your parents physically and financially, but not emotionally. When you're always sitting around pining for the good old days. Well, that'll bless your new spouse, won't it? Oh, I remember when I was in Egypt, we ate all these good foods, but now we're in the desert and all I've got is manna. (laughs) I remember when at mom's house, we had a swimming pool. Man, we don't even have a... Bathtub. <laughs> Zip it. And just go right on, you'll be fine. Wise parents never pressure their married children about anything. But what about, what about holidays? They need to be exactly with us the same time or maybe a little bit more with us than the same time with those other people. (laughs) Let it go. Let it go. Back off. If you don't, you're gonna regret it. Let it go. They have a new family. And what you need to say is, come whenever you want, leave whenever you have to. Now, when they have grandbabies, say, come whenever you want, leave the grandbabies. (laughs) But don't pressure them. Don't pressure them. Young couples, do not be manipulated by your parents or your in-laws. You have the right from God to start your own family. Manipulation usually shows up in two ways. Number one, anger. Somebody tries to manipulate you through anger, they try to come at you and fuss at you and make you melt. Don't give in to that stuff. That's just like a spoiled little child. Don't give in to that stuff. Parents do better than that. And then not only anger, but self-pity. Acting so, oh, we're just so, it's, everybody else has their children and we don't. When your parents act that way, ignore them. <laughs> parents, don't interfere with your children's marriage. No, don't. Dr. Rogers said, the best advice I have or how to parent, how parents should relate to their married children and their spouses is, knees bent, arms open, mouths closed. Donna had an aunt named Jenny. Jenny was to the point. And when our son got married, Grant, back in 05, Jenny came up to Donna and said, Donna has anyone told you what is the role of the mother of the groom in a wedding? Donna said, no, Jenny, but I'm sure I'm about to be told <laughs> what the role is of the mother's, the mother of the groom at the wedding. She said, good, I'll tell you. Here's the role of the mother of the groom at the wedding. Wear beige, And keep your mouth shut. (laughs) I like that. Leave your parents emotionally. You gotta leave. Or you will grieve. You gotta leave them physically, financially, and emotionally. You still love them. But you transfer your primary loyalties away from your parents and you start a new family. You transfer your primary loyalties to your spouse. And let me just say this and I'll move on. When you make a decision as a young couple, the husband, the man, needs to talk to his parents and tell, you, tell them what the decision is. And then the wife needs to tell her parents what the decision has been made. And you have to honor your parents, but you don't have to obey them anymore. You don't. I've just liberated you, all right? You don't. You honor them, but you don't have to obey them. Be kind, but you don't have to do everything they say. And if they get mad, that's not your fault. You say, would you go to the last point? Yes, I will, okay. Okay. That's the parting of marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. And then look at the last part, verse chapter 2 of 24. It says the partnership of marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. When you leave your parents, you join to your spouse. You cleave to one another. You create a brand new, a brand new marriage and a brand new home. We read in Genesis 2:18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper for him. That word helper is etzer, edzer in the Hebrew. And the word helper is a little stronger than we think. It's a helper, but it's also a protector. And ladies, you become a warrior for your husband, a prayer warrior, an encourager, and a shield for him. I'm gonna tell you something, guys. Look at me. If you don't know the will of God, go to the word of God and then go to the wife that God gave you. Women hear from God. You hear what I just said? Women hear from God. You say, well, that's because you're married to Donna. No. (laughs) Women hear from God. And you be his warrior. You be his biggest fan. You be his, be his cheerleader, but you fight for him on your knees. Pray for your husband. You pray for him. That's how he'll change into a Christ like man. I know, I know. I've got a wife that has prayed for me every day for the last 40, almost 42 years. She probably started, I'm sure she started before we got married. Pray for them, fight for them. Stand up for them. In our book, Biblical Femininity, is that right? Christy Cole says, an etzer is someone who is for you, an ally, someone who supports, aids, rallies to your cause and brings you strength. And God entrusted his etzer nature to women so that they might fight and reflect his character in this distinct and powerful way. Then as the father of the bride, the Lord escorted Eve and gave her to Adam, Genesis 3, 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And Adam responded with the first wedding vows, this is now bone of my bones, Flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then Moses speaks regarding marriage 101 in Genesis 2.24. For this reason a man shall leave his father, shall cleave to his wife, father and mother shall be joined to his wife, or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then Genesis 2:25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And here we see that they cleave for fellowship, but they also cleave for intimacy. And that sexual intimacy is for pleasure, but it's also for procreation. And that's why the devil has perverted biblical sexuality. That's why he is the author of abortion, Satan is. Because every abortion kills a baby who is made in the image of Almighty God. And you can't believe how much the devil hates God. He also attacks marriage because he hates the Christ of God who is like the groom and we are like the bride. So he hates marriage, he hates the family, and he's behind all the deviation that we have in our culture away from heterosexual, monogamous marriage. You want to know the standard? It's real simple. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall be joined. He shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the only place for wholesome sex is in a marriage that is heterosexual, and monogamous. God gave it to you to enjoy and to procreate, to be part of his created order. In his excellent book, The Meaning of Marriage, Pastor Tim Keller shares a great statement about the mystery of marriage. He said, if God had the gospel of Jesus' salvation in mind when he established marriage, then marriage only works to the degree that approximates the pattern of God's self-giving of love of Christ. Start here, Paul says, do for your spouse what God did for you and Jesus, and the rest will follow. This is the secret, that the gospel of Jesus and marriage explain one another. That when God invented marriage, he already had the saving work of Jesus in mind. Every marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church. And it is sacred. It is sacred. That's why weddings ought to be sacred from beginning to end. It's a holy thing. And that's why marriages are to be sacred from the beginning to the end.